girl. So, like, I, I'd seen Pastor Selwyn do it before, and he was like, Corey, you, you'll know what to say. You know, you've seen me do the, you know, do, you know, introduce the campaign and the plus one campaign. And I said, yeah, yeah, sure, I got it. But then I said, you know what? I said, God, what, 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 what is it that you'll have me to say? Because, again, I, I can only be transparent. I only stand before you as a transparent person who is a sinner and who is only covered by the righteousness and Jesus' blood. That's it. So, um, so I'm going to be real with you. Um, so we're ha- we have this plus one campaign, and, and it's, um, if you haven't been here before, what we're doing is preparing for what God has for us as we, um, we move to a new building. And so we are looking to purchase more chairs to fill those chairs. So we're asking families of maximum of four chairs. So you have to buy chairs for your family and then, chair, fill, and then buy another set of chairs to fill those chairs. So with that being said, I just want to let you know that before we even had this plus one campaign, I stand before you as someone's plus one. Um, it wasn't that long ago that someone in this church shared the love of Jesus with me and... Um, and I stand here now, and God is so good. And so the Plus One campaign, I'm, I hope in your lives, is just a lifestyle. I hope sharing the love of Christ to a broken world is something that you do anyways. But I want you to know that I literally can sit in this chair because someone in this church took the time to talk to me, took the time to share the gospel with me, and filled a chair in this church. Now, not only did they fill my chair with them sharing, but my husband, my children, my sister, my family. I am watching God work by purchasing. So I just look at one chair. When, when the pastors say, okay, Rob and I are like, oh, we'll buy four chairs because we have, we have four family members. I want you guys to wrap your brain around what we are about to do here, what God is about to do. Is it's not about purchasing a chair for someone else. It literally is about advancing God's kingdom. It is about finding broken people and bringing them to Christ so they have freedom, just like someone did for me. So I stand before you as someone's plus one, and I let you know that this is a campaign about lives, about souls, and we have a responsibility as the church. We have a responsibility, a big responsibility, to go out into that world and be light. And we can do it, GTC. So I just want to thank you guys. Thank you so much. Our church uh, annual business meeting is coming up on May the 27th at, uh, at 7 p.m. And, uh, you know, this is a time not just where we talk about business. This is a time for us to look back at the great things that God has done for us and uh, and to look forward to what God is about to do. And so if you're not a member, you are welcome to come to the annual business meeting. And if you are a member, you are expected to come to the annual business meeting. So mark your calendar. That's May 27th at 7 p.m. We have some exciting things to tell you about in terms of our buying committee and our selling committee. And, uh, and so we're really excited about that. And uh, we also have a proposal that, uh, that the board wants to present to, to, to the membership of the church. And, and I just need to read that to you this morning. Whereas 1027 Projects has accumulated $50,000 and $50,531 as of April of this year, and whereas each year 
we have had an estimate of $24,000 being used towards 1027 projects. Let it be resolved that we continue resourcing 1027 projects with the accumulated funds, but suspend restricting 10% of our general income towards 1027 projects for one year to be revisited at the next annual business meeting. And if that sounds really confusing, just come and talk to me or a, or a staff member or one of our, um, one of our deacons, and, and, and we'll just talk to you about that. Um, and uh, before I go on, I'm going to put Ashley and Anthony on the spot here. I can't believe you're here today. Aren't you supposed to be having a baby? Tomorrow night at 6 o'clock, Ashley is having a baby. So, yes, clap. You can, that's exciting. So pray for Ashley tomorrow, throughout your day, especially at 6 o'clock and through the night. <laughs> Just pray for her. Pray for, pray for a healthy delivery and that Mama will be okay and that Anthony will be okay as well. All right. So today is a, is a really special day for Pastor Selwyn and, uh, and for myself. We are being ordained later tonight, and uh, we would love for you. Thank you. We would love for you guys to join us, and it's in uh, Cromwell, Connecticut. And if you can't join us, um, you, can, you can go to our website, gtcquincy.org, at 7 p.m., and you can watch the service there. Uh, would you welcome this morning Lawrence as he shares a word today? Well, it's good to be with you today. Um, my presence here was not originally part of the preaching schedule, because for the last four months, uh, I was with my daughter at uh, Chestnut Hill in Boston, where our uh, son-in-law is the Episcopal priest uh, who is pastor of that church. But a strange thing happened, which I experienced while I was there. On February the 6th, the Lord told me to be ready to preach a sermon in this church. It was totally unexpected because I wasn't going to be back for about over three months. And this is the sermon. I wrote it then and there, and it has been sitting, waiting until today, when I unexpectedly find myself standing here. Now, the message is about the return of Christ. And I think you will agree with me that whereas once we used to hear a lot about that when I was younger, but you know, people seem to think that nothing's happening, he hasn't come back yet, and they've kind of lost the edge. And the interesting thing was that last Sunday, uh, Pastor Goodwin was here preaching, and I heard him refer to this. It really caught my ears because he's mentioned how this was something that people seem to have forgotten. Another interesting thing was after the first service today, uh, there was a brother sitting in that front pew there, and he drew my attention to the fact that uh, last night he felt a sense of urgency and began to go through the Left Behind series. So I think it's 
the right time for this message. It's very specific. It'll come straight at somebody in this church because I believe God gave it for one or more people here, and only you will know if God is talking to you, but something specific is happening here today. So what we need here is at least a PowerPoint number one. There you are. It's up there for you. John said this, verse 15, Do not love the world, nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Verse 17, the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God will live forever. Verse 18, children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Notice that in verse 18 it says, it is the last hour. Now, PowerPoint number two, please. There we go. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. But how do we here today know from our perspective that it is the last hour? John gives us the answer in the same verse. He says, many antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. You see, John understood that the last hour began with the first coming of Christ and that it would extend until his second coming. We know that Peter believed the same thing because in his sermon on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit fell upon the believers, Peter explained the event by saying in Acts chapter 2, verse 16, this, what had just happened, is what was spoken by the prophet Joel in the last days. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. You were sitting in those days. You see, Peter knew that they were in the last days. The very presence and activity of the Holy Spirit was a mark of the last days. You see it in your services here. Every time someone speaks in tongues, every time someone gives a message in tongues, gives a prophecy or an interpretation of tongues, you know that's a mark of the last days. And the writer of the book of Hebrews confirms that the last days began with the first coming of Jesus. In Hebrews 11 verse 1, we read that in these last days, he, that is God, has spoken to us by his Son. So then we are unquestionably in the last days. But the issue is, how far along in this period of time have we come? 
we are given a clue in a document called the Book of Confessions, which I consider to be one of the most valuable documents ever written. The Book of Confessions contains 10 confessional statements, that is, 10 declarations, beginning with the Nicene Creed and the Apostles' Creed, and you're all familiar with those. The remaining eight confessions were all developed as foundational bedrock teachings to combat error in the church. And it is here in the book of Confessions, in the second Helvetic Confession, that we find the clue to where we are in the last days. In paragraph 5.074, we find these words, And from heaven the same Christ will return in judgment when wickedness will be at its greatest in the world. And when the Antichrist, having corrupted religion, will fill up all things with superstition and impurity. But Christ will come again to claim his own and by his coming destroy the Antichrist and judge the living and the dead. So then, here is the clue as to where we are in the last days. It is in these words, when wickedness will be at its greatest in the world. Well, then I put it to you. Has there ever been a time when wickedness in the world has been greater than now? The inhabitants of Sodom and Gomorrah and what they were doing looked tame compared to now. The inhabitants of those two cities at least had the excuse of being ignorant pagans. But today we have several mainline Christian denominations who have had close to 2,000 years of solid Bible teaching to guide them, and yet they have committed the ultimate abomination of performing same-sex marriages. Added to this, we have in the 21st century an appalling level of violence and murder. Yes, I know in the Middle Ages this kind of thing happened, but we are in the 21st century and we should know better now. And yet we are witnessing multiple beheadings, the burning of people alive, and we have seen mass genocide, particularly in Bosnia and, and, and in Africa. Yes, it is indeed the last hour. John said this, looking back at, at uh, number two here. It is the last hour, and just as you have heard, Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have appeared. From this, we know that it is the last hour. Notice that. Many Antichrists have appeared. Now, I know that you can go back in history and we can point to historical examples of people who have been really possessed by the Antichrist spirit to possess and rule the world and control people. We can find those historical examples. But what I want to look at is today, without looking for historical examples of Antichrists, let's translate this passage here into today's language and context. Many antichrists have appeared. What does that mean to us today? Well, William Barclay has an interpretation of what happened 
in John's time, but which applies to our day and time. Barclay says this, For John, the battle was in the mind. The battle was in the mind. The spirit of Antichrist was struggling with the spirit of God for the possession of human minds. What makes this so significant is that we can see exactly the process at work today. Some people have made science out of the indoctrination of the human mind. We see them take an idea and repeat it until it settles in the minds of others who begin to accept it as true simply because they've heard it so often. This is easier today than it ever was with so many means of mass communication, books, newspapers, radio, television, and the vast resources of modern advertising. You are being indoctrinated. That's what the Antichrist is doing. The spirit of Antichrist, which is anti-Jesus, anti-everything else that's holy, is plugging you with this stuff. You are called politically incorrect. You are called unloving if you stand flat-footed against same-sex marriage. You don't love them. You don't care about them. You don't know how they feel. You don't love them. You've got no, you don't have the love of Jesus in you, is what they tell you. Just watch the news. You're not given news. You're given editorials. They tell you what they want you to think. You don't just get the news given to you in an objective fashion so that you can decide what you think. They will ask you what you think after they've told you how to think. But you're being plugged the whole time. Your mind filled with this stuff. Indoctrination. So at this time in our world, when we talk about Antichrist, we're talking about this move which actually cuts across everything that God is trying to do with decent, holy people who are trying to follow Jesus Christ. At this time, we're not yet thinking of the single, single demonic figure who is the Antichrist of the book of Revelation. We haven't got that far yet. We can't see him. People try and point to this one and that one. I've heard people call, being called the Antichrist over and over again, but then they died and gone, and so they weren't the Antichrist. But that spirit is alive, and it's at work, trying to work on us. So then we are people who are, in a sense, being attacked by the spirit, which is trying to influence our mind. So then, we are in the last hour when evil is at its worst. And I put it to you that the return of Christ in the rapture is very near at the door. Now, let's just change gears and look at the words of Jesus himself, which will help us discern the nearness of his return. Now, the uh, PowerPoint number three. There we go. Matthew 24, verses 32 through 36, and, and here's where we go then. Verse 32, Jesus said this, Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that the summer is near. 
So you too, when you see all these things, recognize he, that is the Son of Man, is near, right at the door. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son of Man, but the Father alone. Now looking back at verse 32, Jesus says, learn the parable. In other words, learn the lesson. Learn the lesson of the fig tree. The fig tree in Israel is one of those few trees which sheds its leaves in the winter. See, the climate of Israel is very different from here. And only a few trees actually shed their leaves, and the fig tree is one of them. So then it is leafless in the winter, but in the spring it starts budding and begins to produce leaves. And that's the sign that the end is near. So in verse 33, Jesus says, so when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. But here is the caution in verse 36. But of that day and hour, no one knows. And in verse 37, Jesus says that no one knows because coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. The days of Noah when people did not know or realize what was coming. Jesus explained it like this in the same chapter, Matthew 24 and verses 38 through 42. Verse 38 he says, For as in the days before the flood they were eating and drinking, and marrying, and giving in marriage, until the day Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. What this means, in our time, as in the days of Noah, a vast multitude of people are totally oblivious of what is coming. For them, it is just business as usual. People going about their everyday lives in the usual way, eating, drinking, getting married, going to work every day, coming home at night to their families, but they have no idea what is coming. What kind of people are they? Some are respectably lost, respectable, decent people, but not caring much about Jesus. Others are just plain wicked and even openly hostile to Jesus and his followers. But unknown to them, they are just like the people in the days of Noah with problem facing them of an unexpected crisis ahead of them. And they will remain unsuspecting and uncaring until the crisis comes and they are swept away, separated. That's the key word. Separated from the godly ones who love Jesus. Swept away and left behind. 
In the next verse of Matthew 24, Jesus says that it will be like this. And he tells us exactly what's going to happen. This is not just a myth. This is what is going to happen. He said it. Verse 40, he says, there will be two men in the field. In the field. Field work. One will be taken and one will be left. Verse 41, two women will be grinding at the mill. Grinding. Making flour. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken away and one left behind when the Son of Man comes. In other words, two people in each case will be doing the same work, exactly the same work. One will be taken up to be with Jesus and the other will be left behind. There will be a sudden drastic separation. In each case, the two men and the two women Look the same outwardly. They're all doing this, they're both doing the same thing. But inwardly, there is a difference. One loves Jesus, and the other doesn't. And then it happens. Judgment falls, and the separation occurs. One is taken out to be with the Lord, and the other is left behind. So then, what is the message for us today? Will the second coming of Christ catch us so totally by surprise? When it is so near? Jesus tells us in the next verse of, which is Matthew 24, of verse, verse 42. He tells you what to do. Be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. And then in verse 44 he says, For this reason you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you don't think he will. That's when he comes. When you don't think he will. Now, let's just be honest. When you got up this morning, did you even for one moment think that Jesus might return today? No? Yes? Well, that's the kind of time Jesus will come back, the time when you didn't think he would. You know, I suspect that there are some who are grasping at the big excuse for their lack of immediate concern. The excuse that the gospel must first be preached to all nations before the end will come. You see, Jesus himself said this in Matthew 24, verse 14. He said, the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. In other words, the mission of the church must first be completed. Well, the church has been at work for a long, long time. And so I must ask you the question, is there any nation at all on earth where at least somewhere in that nation the gospel has not been preached by pastors and missionaries in either, either in person or by radio or on TV? Even the most unlikely places have had exposure to the gospel. Mongolia, Afghanistan, Russia, 
Saudi Arabia, Iraq, Iran, Brazil. And for those of you who know something about Brazil and the Amazon jungle will remember the Alka Indians who were living in the furthest reaches of the Amazon jungle, who were a fierce race of killers, who killed Nate Saint and the missionaries who came to help them who were in their plane, and who were later reached by Elizabeth Elliot, who went in with her daughter to reach these people. Even they have been reached. And in British Guyana, at the Orinoco River, I knew a man personally who was working there in the Orinoco River, which flows into the Amazon. Even they have been reached. So then the truth is that Jesus could come at any time, particularly at a moment when you don't expect him. So why am I here today? As I've said, my presence and this sermon were not part of the planned preaching schedule for this time. But on a Friday over three months ago, the Lord told me to be ready to preach a sermon in this church. And this is the sermon he wanted me to preach. Now, I cannot in any way predict the day or the hour or the month or the year when Jesus will come. It could be years. I don't know. Could be years. But the sense of urgency that I have is that Jesus will return. But the problem is that there are many people who are not living as if today would be their last before the rapture. In other words, many people live as if Jesus will not be returning. They're not thinking about that. They're not worrying about that. The call of God to every single person in this sanctuary is to live each day as if it is your last. Not pessimistically, but with enthusiasm. If you love Jesus and are serving him and are proactive with him and trying to live your life as you should, confessing your sins, recognizing what sin is. Sin is sin, and you know what that is. The Bible taught that. Forget what everybody's doing. I know what everybody's doing. They do everything. Everything goes in today's world. You know, when I was a young boy, they spoke in bated breath about Sweden, where they practice free love. Mm. Today, free, free for everybody. Do what you want, anytime, any place. But live each day passionately. When you awake in the morning, fall on your knees beside your bed and thank Jesus for a new day. Ask him to help you live the day to his glory. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in paths of righteousness so that your example to others is good and true. You're being watched, my friends. I'm being watched. If I start living dirty, well, it soon becomes kind of, well, that's okay. You know, everybody wants an excuse to do that. I remember the time when President Clinton had that affair with Monica Lewinsky. It was a disgusting business. But it's amazing how he got away with that, how popular he was then and how popular he is today. I'll tell you why. Because he gave them an excuse to be dirty. He gave them an excuse to be dirty. You know, he, we just like him. We're all the same. You know, it's all right. There are no excuses. You know what it is. You know what's clean. I know what's clean. Now, the question is, when you pray each day, 
One of the problems that is rife in the church is prayerlessness. You know that. You know, your people say they're praying for you. I hear it on CNN. You know, our thoughts and our prayers go out to this person. Well, if they really meant it, they wouldn't be saying our prayers go out to the person. They'd say, my prayers go out to God for that person. But that's the standard saying. I'm praying for them. It's baloney. They don't pray for you. I've also learned that sometimes people say they're praying for me, and I don't think they are. They might say a little word, oh, God bless him. I'm not perfect, but I realized one thing. Somebody's got to get in there and stand in the gap. And some of you here, particularly in the generations group, know that I try to do that. Every day, before I get out of bed, I bring before God a list of people who are in my head, and I pray for them. And I've seen people healed. I've seen them delivered from alcohol. I've seen all kinds of things happen because somebody is praying day after day. Now, I can do it. You can do it. But nobody's asking you to be an intercessor like I'm trying to be. But what God does expect of you is that you get down on your knees before you go out each day. Before you get out of, get up and go about your work, fall on your knees beside your bed. And maybe your day is going to be rushed and you haven't got time to pray. Just fall on your knees and say, Lord Jesus, I bring before you myself and my family and all those whom I love. And I'm asking you, Lord God, would you be with us? Would you protect us, keep us secure, and help me to live as I should be living in your sight? You can do that. Every one of you can do that. It doesn't take one minute. But now, here is the warning. You know, I don't really enjoy preaching tough stuff. but God gave me this, and I have to say it. Some people are going to take a broadside today. That's why he gave me the sermon. And if you get a broadside, I didn't give it to you. You got it because God gave it to you. If you are attending services in this church, if you are worshiping God here, if you are representing Christ as a worker or a person representing this church in missions, then be sure that the words of your mouth are matched by your lifestyle. Why do I say this? Jude gives us this warning in Jude chapter 1 verse 4. He says, certain persons have crept in unnoticed, ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. What is licentiousness? The Greek word is aselgia unbridled living. What have they done? Why are they denying Jesus? No, they don't deny Jesus. I love Jesus, they say. But if they are living in an unbridled way, they're denying him because they're claiming to represent him. And I'm not saying we're all perfect. We all struggle with sin one way or another. But what God expects from me and from you is to recognize what sin is sin, what good old-fashioned, bad old-fashioned sin is, and bring it to him every day and say, I confess it. I'm asking you to help me. Help me not to repeat this tomorrow. Help me to grow in your grace and not use your grace as an excuse to sin. Again, here is the warning. He who is coming back, Jesus Christ, is not blind. He sees everything you do. I'm not being nasty. He sees everything I do. He sees everything that you do. If you are in the habit of living an immoral life, 
if you are unrepentantly dirty. He knows it. He knows it, my friend. And I don't want you to get hurt. That's why I'm giving you this message. Today may be my lust. I'm getting old. The Bible describes me as well stricken with age. So I could die tonight. And then it will be like my rapture. I'll meet him face to face. I'm not afraid of it. Because I know that I'm a sinner. Every night I pray this famous sinner's prayer that's about 15 to 2,000 years old. Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I confess that. And I ask, and I, if, if the Spirit puts on my mind something that I've done wrong that day, I say, I'm sorry I did that. Will you forgive me? Will you help me not to repeat it? Help me to be better tomorrow. Then I can grow. But I can't go on repeating stuff as though grace covers everything. It doesn't. Today may be my last. Maybe tonight. You see, in the twinkling of an eye, as suddenly as the snap of one's fingers, it happens. And it will be over. So then be alert. Be careful how you live. Jesus knows those who really love him and try hard to be like him. Jesus wasn't immoral. And he doesn't want you to be that way. He knows we're sinners. He knows we need his grace. But he expects us to be moving forward, not standing stagnant in some cesspool of a pit. So that's it. I've delivered the message which I believe God gave me for this church. Now this I have to say. Take it or leave it. You must be the judge as to what I have said. Whether it is in fact a word of the Lord. You judge that. And if you are convinced that I'm talking nonsense, I ask you, dump what I've said and go on and live the way you think you should be. It's all in your hands. Let's pray. Lord God, our Heavenly Father, you know every heart in here, but you're a loving, merciful God. You know all the things that I've done wrong in my life, how slow in learning I've been, how slow I've been, I was in learning to live as a Christian should. You know every sin, every mistake, everything that was wrong. And by your grace, you were patient with me. And I ask, Lord God, for your care and concern and patience with these people. I know you will be. And I pray that you, by your presence of your Holy Spirit, will sweetly convict the hearts of anyone who is doing it wrong. Help them to know that they can stop it right now and that you, by the power of your Spirit, will give them the power to stop it, to bring it to an end so that tomorrow will not be the same. Let us not be afraid. We have no need to fear you when we seek to be forgiven for the sins we have confessed. And so I ask, Lord God, that any, anyone who's needing to talk to you at this time in the stillness of these few moments, that we may all be still before you and talk to you.
Now, Lord God, I leave these people, these ones whom you love, in your care and the care of the pastors and the leadership of this church, which seeks in every way to please you and to be godly in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are dismissed. Thank you.